If you're a curious person pulled in 500 different directions and always wanted to find a way to both make sense and make money out of your curiosity, then today's episode will help. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Giaro, your host here at buildyourthing.co, where we help content creators find their unique creative voice, monetize their work, and build their tribe of loyal fans. Today, I'm joined by David Kadavi, and David is a content creator who runs a blog and a podcast. He's also a best-selling author and has written several books, including the best-selling Design for Hackers, The Heart to Start, and Mind Management, Not Time Management. David has always been a curious person, and I couldn't think about a better guest talking about how to monetize curiosity. So here we go. David, pleasure to have you here on the podcast. Matt, it's a pleasure to be here. It's an honor. Thank you for inviting me. David, I reached out to you per email um, telling you that uh, like your book, Mind Management, Not Time Management, uh, actually was one of the best reads um, that I had for quite quite some time. You have been on my radar for quite some months, so it's actually a pleasure to have you here. And uh, yeah, I know that you are kind of a curious person. And uh, yeah, like I, I just thought that um, monetizing um, curiosity would be an interesting topic to talk about. So uh, maybe you can introduce yourself to 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 the audience and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. The this idea of monetizing your curiosity that really resonates with me because that's been what I've been trying to do for the last fifteen years. Uh, I woke up on my first day of self employment on July eighteenth, uh, two thousand seven. Uh, and I realized, oh no, I have an entire day ahead of me and I have no idea how I'm going to fill it. Um, and I have for so long thought, oh gosh, if only I had a chance to prove myself and to be on my own, uh, I would, I would show them. And, uh, here I was, and I actually had that opportunity um, and it was frightening because I didn't know how I was going to keep myself motivated uh, to do something when I really had no idea what it was that I was going to do. And so actually, from the beginning, curiosity has been sort of my compass uh, in deciding what to do. I've just found it to be a powerful fuel um, that if I can find something that I'm interested in, something that I am curious about, something that I'm passionate about, something that I can work on and have the time just pass and melt away. Uh, kind of like I, it did when I was, you know, in a room, in my room by myself as a child, uh, doing whatever experiments I was doing in my room, that if I could replicate that feeling, that that would be a more powerful force than, say, uh, the Guitar Hero uh, video game that was down the hallway from me that uh, was calling me and was the uh, alternative thing for me to do. So I've always been searching that entire time for that feeling of curiosity, and that has been the main uh, sort of metric by which I've uh, I've built my business. And, you know, it's probably not that... Uh, encouraging to people that now I'm here 15 years later and I really am kind of just now feeling like I'm getting the hang of it, like feeling like I've made, you know, maybe I've made it, uh, that, uh, I'm doing work that I love to do, writing books that I love to write books that I would want to read myself and that my head is above water and money's coming in. 
and I'm having uh, a wonderful time. So uh, the two recent major books that I've written are Mind Management, Not Time Management, and The Heart to Start. Those are a part of a series called Getting Art Done. I'm currently working on the third book in that series. And the first book that I wrote was called Design for Hackers, and that came out in 2011. And I'm just very fascinated by this idea of curiosity, of uh, creativity, of how do you make something when you're not quite sure what it is you're making or whom you're making it for? Uh, what is the process that you follow to do that? And that is what I uh, explore with my work and, and try to figure out and try to share what I learned along, along the way with others. Okay, this is interesting. So right now, um, we are in a in a period or in a time where um, ev everybody's talking about you know data and you should know your market you should know what you're actually doing and you should know your audience and so on and so forth so how do you actually um, create a business if you if you're just curious well like i say it's the, it's the main metric there's certainly other I, I, I got metrics are kind of a dirty word for me. Uh, I'm certainly not somebody who like keeps KPIs or something, but I, I'm looking at data all the time as I'm following my curiosity and I'm creating. I am looking for what is this overlap in my Venn diagram between this thing that I'm curious about, this thing that I love, and the thing that I'm getting some sort of signal from the market that they want and that maybe they're willing to pay for. So like... Um, for example, as I'm working on a new book idea, I'm constantly like tweeting out ideas. And people think, oh, Twitter is just a waste of time. Uh, you don't really get any you know, good marketing lift from it. They look at those metrics and they miss the fact that, well, what you're getting is this really invaluable feedback. Uh, I mean, like as a writer, I can only imagine what it must have been like years ago uh, when all you had was just like you and your typewriter uh, just sitting there silently and to even get one person's opinion on what you were writing was very hard. You had to find somebody to bounce ideas off of and then, you know, maybe they hate your idea, but they're just, they don't actually know what they're talking about or they're not the right person. Something like Twitter or all these tools that we have available to us, we can share an idea and kind of see, is it getting engagement? Are people liking this? Are people retweeting it? Are people asking follow-up questions about it? And so that's the type of process that I have where I'm constantly sharing uh, ideas in various formats. And through that, I'm developing uh, a product, which is like a, a book, which that's a category that uh, has been around for hundreds of years. People buy books. People will continue to buy books for a very long time. It's a very Lindy type of uh, format, as uh, I think Nassim Taleb would say. If it's been around, if something's been around for 500 years, or I mean, it's been around for longer than that, uh, it's going to be around for at least that long additionally. Uh, and so it's a category that people are already interested in. There's already the category of self-help or the category of self of, of time management or uh, that uh, creativity and genius. People are already buying books on those things. So it's there's already a category for things to sort of fit into. And it is, a, it is this um, iterative process where 
I'm curious about this. I'm putting out feelers like, hey, does this resonate with anybody? Most things don't. Some things do. When they do, I then try to sort of follow up on that and say like, well, what's what's going on here? Is this a problem that I can help solve for people that say I could package up in a book? And um, people would want to buy it because they might say to themselves, hey, mind management, not time management. That resonates with me. I always feel like I don't have enough time, uh, but I want to be more creative. Maybe this book has something uh, that it can that it can show me. And hey, look at all these great reviews from all these people who to, with whom this book has resonated. And uh, so it's it's really it's a little bit it's, it's part art and it's part science. Uh, so it is following curiosity, but also looking at data along the way to sort of guide my creative process. Yeah, so this is this is really interesting because a lot of people, as as, as you mentioned, like they, they just look at social media as um, a waste of time. But um, if you are mindful about how you use social media and actually just throwing things out there and just see what people actually resonate with, this gives you actually a strong direction where you you can actually uh, um, focus, um, especially when it comes to to create creative uh, cr- creative work so um this is this is definitely a very very interesting idea so um david you, you mentioned that um when it comes to curiosity like how do you actually make sense of it so how do you actually like you, you like how can you actually follow one thing um and actually start making like turning this into an actual product yeah, uh, you know, it might look like I follow one thing. It's probably that's kind of the appearance that things have. Where like, oh, look, I've got uh, a few books. I've got several short reads that are out, uh, shorter books that are out on Amazon, and I've got a podcast and a newsletter. Um, so it looks like, and in that newsletter it comes out every single week. Just I never miss a week. The podcast comes out every two weeks. It take like a month off a year, but other than that, it's you know always coming every other Thursday. And people are often asking me like, "Well, how do you stay so consistent? Um, you know, how do you focus on things and follow through on things?" And actually, it's the, it's the complete opposite. Uh, is is that? Um, and this is actually what I'm working on for the 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 next book idea is that is that really part of the process is you're just it sounds a little bit messy to say I'm throwing the sp- throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks, but it hmm. is a little bit like you get curious about something um, and then you get curious about another thing. And people often have this problem where they're really get re- interested in a project and they get passionate about it for a very short amount of time and then they burn out and then they move on to the next thing. And then that process repeats and they never have anything to show for it. Well, I used to experience that. I still experience it to some extent, but the difference now that I, I'm a professional, the difference between dilettantes and professionals is uh, in this regard is that professionals know to expect it. You know, we use uh, words like, oh, I'm a, we're, we're filming a pilot for this TV show or we're building a prototype uh, for, for this thing. Um, and, you know, or, or even uh, there's an elevator pitch for your startup uh, that you might be working working on. And so we at least as professionals know that uh, as we're working on a new idea, 
don't go too far with the idea because that's the point where you burn out and you say to yourself, oh my gosh, I just wasted all this time. Instead, you're just putting out feelers constantly. You've got a whole bunch of different things going on and you're kind of seeing what's, you know, where am I getting some good signals here? Not only from, is this resonating with people, but also like, am I interested in this? Is this an idea that I can't get out of my head? Is this something that I really want to see what happens? Um, I like the uh, story that I heard from uh, Georgia O'Keefe. There was an interview from her uh, very late in life where she was talking about painting something. And she was saying, you know, after she's like 90 something years old, I think in this video, and she's after all these years of painting saying, well, you know, Oftentimes I can picture almost an entire painting in my mind, but there's just this one part of the painting that I'm not sure how it turns out and I can't picture that part. So then I have to paint it so I can see what the rest of it turns out to look like. Uh, Mm. And so that's the way that I feel about things sometimes. I want to have a little bit of that, as Seth Godin would say, this might not work feeling, that feeling that like, okay, I'm excited about this. I don't really know what's going to happen. And so that's why I'm, I'm motivated. I'm, I'm excited to work on this. I want to see how it turns out. Uh, and so I often just am managing. It's, it's sort of like you have to sort of be strategic with your curiosity where you're, you're allowing yourself to be curious. You're allowing yourself to go get distracted on something, but you're trying to like put the feelers out and get an idea, get some signals that, okay, this is something that I want to keep uh, pursuing and, and do so uh, in a way that will prevent you from going so far down some path uh, only to find out, oh, I totally wasted my time. And then that's where that feeling of burnout comes out, comes along, which is very destructive where people feel bad about their shiny object syndrome. They feel bad about that they've started all these different projects and found not, uh, and haven't had anything to show for it. But really, I think it's it's just that their expectations are kind of unrealistic and it's those expectations that are leading to some of these negative feelings around uh, pursuing different things and not coming up with anything. But when it becomes part of your process and you expect it, uh, well, then it's it's really just a, a kind of a joy. So uh, the way that I do things is I, I'm always exploring things. I'm always trying to see what I'm curious about. I'm trying to see what is there some sort of a market... Yeah, where am I getting signals that there might be a product here? And uh, and from that, I'm usually kind of able to motivate myself to to follow through on something. Not always. Uh, it's not always easy. It's it's something that I've had to work on. You know, shipping is a skill. Is uh, an article that I've written recently. I mean, there used to be a point in time where when I was first starting out on my own. I couldn't follow through on anything. I had all these ideas. I had a hard drive full of mock-ups that I had made or like half-written book proposals, ideas, and half-written blog articles, even could hardly even write a blog article. But I started saying to myself, well, I need to start shipping things. I need to start finishing things. And so that's where I started to look for like even the most simple things in life. You know, what is it like uh, to ship something? You have a vision. You come up with some plan for how to execute that vision. Uh, you make the thing, you put it out in the world, and then you deal with uh, the world's response to that, which isn't always uh, what you expect. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's not what you expect. Yeah. Uh, and 
And, uh, and so you find that process all over in life. Uh, it can be as simple as like, oh, I'm going to cook a recipe. And well, what do you have to do for that? You look up the recipe online, you see the list of ingredients. And now you're like, well, I've never heard of some of these things. I need to find a grocery store where I can get all these things. And you go to this grocery store, it only has uh, three-fourths of the items. Well, where am I get the other th- where am I gonna get the other things? And some of these things spoil. And so like it's it's actually kind of a complex endeavor if you're somebody who has difficulty following through through on things. But I started to look at things like cooking a meal or planning a party or planning a date. I started to look at these as opportunities to do a project to have a vision and to come up with a plan and to carry out that vision and say to myself, well, did that turn out how I expected it to or not? And those are skills that transfer uh, into your creative work where you can look at something and say, well, I'm curious about this. How do I think this might turn out? What is my vision? What is my plan for carrying out that vision? What kind of a response do I expect? And, and carrying that out and seeing how it went. And then on your next project, um, trying to see if you can take what you learned from, from the previous. So that's a little bit about how I go about um, dealing with executing things, putting things in the world uh, when you aren't somebody who is able to just focus on one thing. Yeah, because this is like something that I struggled with also a lot for many, many years. And uh, especially, yeah, as you mentioned, shiny object syndrome. So um, I think that there are two important like, important things here. So the first thing, and um, you talk about the importance to figure out who you actually are, right? Because um, if you don't know who you are and, and like how you actually wired, it's actually pretty hard to live in harmony with yourself, right? So how do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, I can think about one of the more powerful moments that I've had in learning something about myself. Um, you know, there's there was just like one friend in particular who uh, was a very successful influencer and uh, was a bit of a mentor to me, even though he was younger than me. And I would just look at him and just think, wow, this guy just executes over and over again. I had another friend who was who was like that too. And I think, well, gosh, she just is so d- decisive. She executes on things so well. Look at the businesses she's built. Look how successful she is. And I'm looking at these people thinking to myself, well, how can I, why can't I do this or that part of it? Like I can see that there's these parts that uh, uh, of myself that I see in them, but then when it comes to the executing the same way that they do, I, I wasn't able to do it. Well, I had, uh, I was talking to a friend at a party about this one time and he was like, well, don't you get it? Like they're P they're J's and we're P's like, what are you talking about? <laughs> so he was talking about Myers Briggs, which mm. is, is criticized for, for being a pseudoscience, but you know, there's elements of it that have scientific support. For example, introvert, extrovert, I think that the um, P and J dichotomy is also useful. And that's the difference between a perceiver and a judger. I think it's probably also related to um, there's there's a, a psychological concept called need for closure. Like how how much do you like, do you, are you somebody who likes to have a lot of doors open, a lot of options open? Or are you somebody who likes to close doors and close options and close loops and make decisions? Uh, 
Well, I'm the former. I'm the person who likes to have the doors open. So I'm a P and these friends, it became crystal clear to me, were clearly J's. And uh, these J's are executors. They're uh, very good at finding a thing and going an inch wide and a mile deep on it. Um, another concept that's re- related, I think it's Joel Spilsky, maybe I, I think is who came up with this, but we'll talk about developers, a T-shaped developer versus a, a comb-shaped developer. So a T-shaped developer has very deep expertise in one area. A comb-shaped developer has um, pretty good expertise in a lot of different areas, kind of a jack of all trades, which is kind of has negative connotations to it. Um, but I think that's sort of left over from more of a an old um, an old industrial idea where every person needs to kind of have one function i think it's starting to become a lot uh people can can have a lot of different interests and pieces of expertise and combine them together and 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 do very well in the world i think and so embracing that and and seeing that uh has been huge for me because one it made me not feel so bad about not being able to execute as well as my friends had, but it also helped me realize like, Oh, actually I was talking to one of these friends and, 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 um, she was like, Oh gosh, you know, you're like, you're really creative. I just wish I was that creative. (laughs) And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? You're, you're such an executor. You're always, you're so good at, uh, you know, setting these goals and and following them. It made me realize like, okay, this is, you know, you kind of get one or the other. You don't necessarily get both, but you have to work with what you got. So I guess I am sort of creative, but I kind of struggle with executing on things. But then I've just sort of have made that part of the process of of like, okay, I'm not going to feel bad about the fact that on my Kindle, there's 20 different books that I've uh, started reading in the last month. And, you know, maybe I'm three quarters through like three of them and a lot of the rest of them, I've not even gotten through the Kindle sample on them. And that's just the way it is. Like, it's just this stream that goes by and some things uh, stick and some things don't. Uh, And so that's been a realization uh, for me. And, you know, it helps to have to, to build that sort of self-awareness because you, you got to learn what it is that you're working with. And you have to realize that sometimes, you know, it helps to have heroes or people that you follow or people whom you emulate um, because you want to do something like what they're doing, but you have to recognize uh, at some point that they're not you, that you're somebody else and that you have your own different way of doing things and uh, that you need to figure out what that is. And so, um, the, the the easiest signal of that is it, where where you just feel like you just can't. You know, what what do you feel like you just can't do, and what's the stuff that comes easy? And paying attention to those things, uh, and you know maybe you work a little bit on some of the stuff that you can't do that holds you back from your goals. But ultimately, you're trying to embrace the things that come easily to you, uh, and that's a process. Uh, it's an iterative process, and it helps to to journal and to to meditate and pay attention, uh, to your own inner thoughts. And, uh, you know, what are you scared about? What do you struggle with? Uh, what do you love to do? What, what are the things that make the the time pass without you even realizing that you're actually doing some kind of work and it's an ongoing process. This is interesting because I think that a lot of people who are like, actually like us, like having 
multiple interests being pulled in different direction at the same time. Um, I guess we 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 feel guilty a lot of time because so many people tell you, especially when it comes to you know building your business, building your your thing online. Like so many people tell you, well, you have to um, pick your niche and then execute and then just narrow down and be very specific and all this kind of stuff. Like something like it's pretty harsh, like to to hear this kind of stuff because. Like it's either you you be you're one hundred percent like specific and you go really deep, or you have to abandon your curiosity. And I think that a lot of people who are like us, like I think they are in in this dilemma. So they have to choose. Like either I go just deep into something, and even though I'm probably not that interested in just going so deep, or um, I just continue on my path of curiosity, but. Um, on the same time, um, like every, I, I'm against like every big business guru out there who's just telling me that, well, I have to focus on something. So what would you actually um, advise to, to, to people who are actually pulled in, in different directions and feel guilty about their curiosity? Well, I think one thing to watch out for is, uh, is the person who's giving you that advice a J. Uh, um you know, a, a judger, a somebody who who closes loops, who closes doors, who who is good at executing on kind of one thing, and they're going to give you that advice that you should stick with one thing and and execute on it. Like that's it's not bad advice. It, it, it's it is the kind of the right thing to do um, if you want to be successful with online content. I think, especially because like. So many different algorithms and and hashtags and you know sort of machine learning things are out there directing people in all these media channels and they're not that sophisticated. They're really just like, okay, is this about this topic or is it not? Um, and so it is it is useful, um, but is it something that you can execute? Is it is it is it you? Uh, so one one way to do things is that you can have like multiple channels where, okay, you're interested in one topic and you've got a Twitter account for that one. You're interested in another topic. You've got a Twitter account for that one. I mean, I've been doing that lately. I've been doing this like golf project, this golf experiment, and I've got a Twitter account that I started for it. And uh, it has like, it's doing okay. It's got 660 followers, something like that. But my Twitter account, my blue check mark, David Cadavy Twitter account has like 22,700 followers on it. Well, this golf Twitter account with 660 followers often gets more impressions and more engagement on its tweets than the tweets from my Twitter account with 22 something follow thousand followers on it. Um, Cause the Twitter account with 22,000 followers on it. I've talked about a ton of different topics on there. I've talked about design when I was doing design for hackers and then, um, you know, starting entrepreneurship, lots of creativity stuff, or sometimes there's a personal stuff on there. So it's not that focused. And Twitter's algorithm, as a result, doesn't love it as much as it loves the, the account that's like just about golf, <laughs> right? But I don't want to just like only have a golf account and like that's all yeah. I do. But if I get interested in a topic, just, you know, you can make a, an account, make, an, a cha- make a channel for that. You can have a bunch of these things at once. Like nothing says that like once you start a Twitter account or an Instagram account or a blog that like you have to 
execute on that one. You can have a bunch of these things going in parallel and switch around between them. And and some of that stuff is going to be evergreen. Like if you're writing blog content, you know, I've got articles from 10 years ago that people are still searching for and uh, and finding and reading while I go work on uh, on other things. And so you got to ask yourself, like, when somebody gives you that advice, one, is is that are they giving that advice because that's the way they do it because it fits their personality and uh, what really works for for your personality? And, uh, you know, is it true that you have to be focused on one thing like it might be kind of ideal but it's not going to result in, in my, in my opinion, as creative or out there ideas that uh, really have a chance to have uh, a great deal of upside uh, to them. I think that you've got to be experimenting with a lot of different things if you want to find something that really doesn't just like become uh, useful within a category but that creates its own category um, that it becomes its own thing. You know, like when, when uh, Tim Ferriss wrote the four hour work week, like nobody had ever, it was, it's like a time management book kind of, but it, he just like created this entire new world of uh, this hyper efficiency, this hyper optimization stuff. And so for me, that's kind of the stuff that I'm more interested in. Like, yeah, sure, you can go out there and like pick a category and, you know, get middling success in that category. But if you want to really be, um, if you really want to succeed in something that's totally defensible because nobody on earth can replicate it because you were the first person to, to think about it, um, you know, I think I still have yet to... Uh, achieve that. I feel like I'm getting closer to it, but I think that process is a lot messier than like picking one thing uh, and, and executing on it. Yeah, that, I think that there are a lot of a lot of nuggets here that I probably myself have to listen to the, to it uh, uh, more than one time. So thank you for sharing that, um, David. I, I th- there is another another concept that I. Um, that I think would be interesting to, to talk about is actually how do you trust the process, especially when it's that messy? Uh, for me, it was, uh, I mean, I don't know how useful this is, but for me, when I was first starting out on my own 15 years ago, uh, there was this YouTube video that I watched over and over and over again. And it was the Steve Jobs 2005 Stanford commencement address. And uh, been around for a while, right? 17 years old now. And uh, But just so much of that talk resonated with me. And in it, Steve Jobs talks about how you can't connect the dots moving forward. You can only connect them moving in reverse. What does that mean? Well, that means that you can't necessarily make a plan of a series of steps you're going to follow to get the place that you that you want to go but once you're at that place you can easily retrace those steps and then mm. apply sort of the narrative fallacy to those things and say well these are the steps that uh, you follow to do this and uh, so jobs's story around that is that uh, when he was uh, he had dropped out of college and he was hanging hanging around that campus of reed college and um 
he dropped in on a calligraphy class. And uh, he says, you know, they just had no practical application in my life at the time, but I just loved this calligraphy class. I loved learning about the history of letters. I loved, uh, you know, doing the calligraphy, drawing these beautiful letters, learning about this history, learning about this subtle combination of art and science that is typography. And that just, there was no point to it, but I was totally fascinated by it. But you know, then years later, when he was working with Steve Wozniak on the the Macintosh computer, he took everything that he learns that he could uh, about typography and about calligraphy, and he put that all on the Mac. So, you know, he made optically spaced uh, typography. He made it have different fonts. And then they worked with the limitations of the pixels on the screen to uh, commission some typefaces that were really significant for for that medium that that didn't exist before and that were new and that were made just for computers and so all that stuff he put in the mac and there was no way that he possibly could have predicted oh i'm taking this calligraphy class right now because someday i'm going to make a computer and uh and so i'm going to put all this into into uh into a you know into that computer so that's something that he said, then, you, you know, you have to trust your curiosity. You have to trust that you have to follow it and trust that it's all going to work out. It's going to lead you to somewhere interesting. Uh, and he obviously experienced that uh, many times in his career. And that's something that I've experienced myself now enough times that I'm able to trust the process. Uh, but in the beginning, it, I really just kind of had to go on faith by what Steve Jobs was saying because I had seen, I had witnessed a lot of um, his his career. I mean, people these days might not even remember things like uh, like the iMac or the i iBook, the candy colored ones, and the 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 iPod, and and how they might not know the story about how like the iPod. Uh, was inspired inspired the iPhone and and all those things and they might not know the story about how those dots connect going in reverse and so they might not be able to maybe look at something that they're curious about and they have no idea where it's going to take them but then to have the faith to not say to yourself oh gosh I just wasted like 10 hours this week you know learning about this weird Zettelkasten thing uh which is like something that I did recently and then recently released a short read about that. And that book has done very well, but I took like spent like weeks getting almost nowhere trying to learn about this thing. Um, and it turned out to, to be something really useful for me. And so, you know, you very often find yourself going down these paths that seem like they're divergent, that seem like they don't go anywhere in particular, but, you often find that those paths converge. So for myself, I found that with, you know, when I was a kid, I loved to draw. I loved art. Uh, I wanted to be an artist. And then I got a, uh, my brother left his uh, computer at home one summer uh, while he was uh, away at college. And I got on the internet and was like, wow, this is, this is so cool. So I was spending time on the internet. So art and the internet had nothing to do with each other. And then I went and studied graphic design. And then I uh, went and worked in Silicon Valley. And that was a complete accident. And I learned about entrepreneurship. And I was blogging during that time. And then one day I wrote a blog post about 
design for hackers, like design, visual design, what makes something beautiful. And I wrote that with uh, computer software engineers in mind. And that became this explosive blog post that got me my first book deal. And that's how I came up with my book, my first book, Design for Hackers. And so none of those things had anything to do with each other uh, when I first started on those paths. But once those paths converged, it it sort of worked out really great where I had this thing that like, well, there wasn't somebody out there who did it just the same way that I did, who had that exact same combination of curiosities and skills and passions. Like there might've been different combinations that were, uh, that, that were, you know, somewhat similar, but I had my own way of doing it. And that's how you end up somewhere that nobody's ever been before is by allowing your curiosity uh, making the space for it to take you down these disparate paths and trusting that eventually they are going to converge and take you someplace nobody's ever been before. So David, I want to shift gears a little bit. And you're a content creator who has a pretty solid routine. At least this is the impression that I have after reading your book. So um, can you explain us a little bit more about how do you find us the sweet spot between having actually a routine, which is actually not really following your curiosity, right? So a routine is like something that repeats itself day, day in, day out. So how can you actually mix between or find a sweet spot between actually having a routine, but at the same time following your curiosity? Yeah, it's a good observation. So it can be a little bit, it can feel a little bit constraining in that way where if you have a habit and you say, you know, have to write every morning and sometimes maybe you don't feel like it, maybe you're curious about something, well, that, that, can, be, that can be a little bit uh, tricky sometimes, right? So um, it, what I do is I, I sort of look at the things that I create as sort of vehicles to exercise my curiosity. And I don't know if I'm if it's because I'm fortunate or what, but I kind of have like a certain appetite um, that I've learned to understand how big that appetite is. And I've sort of arranged things so that uh, the things that I create are going to satisfy that appetite with a little bit of a challenge to it. And this has been a process to, to find that. So like when people uh, want to ask me about uh, consistency and the fact that I have a newsletter that comes out every single Monday, uh, Love Mondays, or that I have my podcast, Love Your Work, that comes out every, uh, every two weeks, um, those are really just set up so that um, I know that I can create those things with this sort of curiosity that I expect to have or, or with the creative energy that I expect to have. Like I know that I can write roughly two articles a month that are kind of long form and that I can uh, make a newsletter every week and that that's going to be a comfortable yet somewhat challenging uh, amount of content for me to create. And that is what sort of motivates me then to keep sharing ideas on Twitter uh, to keep uh, brainstorming about those little tiny ideas, to read books, um, and sometimes even get curious about a person and and interview them. Those are things that sort of help motivate me because I know that that's on the schedule to to do these things that I know are going to help me with my appetite for curiosity. 
that I kind of expect to already. It's taken some trial and error, but I have found that I am able to then keep my curiosity um, satisfied by doing that sort of reading and things that I do to prepare to to create all these things. And, and that is a process that, uh, you know, allows me to read a lot and allows me to share ideas and allows me to brainstorm things and then also to write. Um, and I have sort of devised things where, you know, morning times is, is definitely the time for me to write. And then I have a little bit more unstructured time throughout the day where maybe I'm not as great at focusing on the writing. And uh, that's when I allowed myself to explore and sort of fidget around a little bit more and, and kind of find sort of seeds of ideas that I can follow when I do sit down and have my habits. So it's a little bit of a mixture. It really doesn't take, you know, how long does it take to type, say, 500 words or so in the morning? Like, really not that much time at all. It's just that you need to have sort of the seeds of the ideas there um, f- for you to uh, be able to develop those ideas. And that's something that uh, that comes from your reading and from your sort of independent thinking, whether it's writing in a journal or something like that. And, uh, and through that process, I'm able to keep quite consistent. But I, I really stay ahead of things, you know, like these these articles that come out every two weeks, I start working on an article several weeks before it comes out or the newsletters that come out. I actually, while that comes out every week, I kind of create them in a batch of four or five newsletters uh, at a time. And I have processes that I follow uh, where I am able to allow those things to incubate. Um, This is something that I write about a lot in my management, not time management. It's this idea of what I call passive genius, which is that we all know that... um, you, when you, you, you sort of think about things when you're not actively working on them. So for example, you've heard the expression, uh, you should sleep on it. Like if you have a big problem that you're trying to solve, uh, you know, give it a nice rest, see how you think, how you feel in the morning. Well, that's because our mind is sort of subconsciously incubating these things all the time. Uh, and when you, uh, work that passive genius, or put it into your routines, it becomes uh, much easier to keep driving your projects forward um, because you can sort of spend a few minutes on something and then in the interim time, uh, your subconscious is working on it. And then when you revisit it, it really only takes a few minutes to sort of polish it up uh, and get ready. So being ahead of things, uh, it really helps. Having some sort of a habit uh, where you are forcing yourself to create even when you don't feel like it. Um, But then also having sort of a regular output where you're constantly creating this one deliverable over and over again, but different variations of it. Uh, That's something, and and, and designing that in a way that it allows you to explore the amount of curiosity that you have or that you tend to have. uh, I find that to be really useful for allowing me to uh, follow my curiosity and, and still be creating things and be quite consistent in doing so. Yeah, I like that. Especially this is like the co- a concept that you talk about in your book, Mind Management, Not Time Management, when you're talking about the minimum creative dose. And I really like the fact that you mentioned when it comes to your newsletter, to your podcast, that you're not trying just to um, force yourself in 
just having a, a a very tight content publication schedule. But from from what I've understood um, from our call right now is that you really try to just find what is the thing that I, that I can just commit to and just be consistent with it. Am I right? Yeah, and that has, I mean, and that sounds very dramatic, especially for somebody who is a PE, right, who doesn't want to commit to things, who wants to keep doors open. And it's been a gradual process. You know, it started out with, okay, well, I'm going to commit to writing tomorrow. And then well, I'm going to commit to writing tomorrow, too. And then you string together a week, and then you string together a month. And then you say, well, I'm going to commit to publishing a 500-word medium post tomorrow. And then you do that again, and you do that again, and do it again. And then you start to realize, hey, I can do this. And then you start to get a feel for uh, what is uh, the appetite that I have, or what is the capacity that I have. And it's it's, it's easier to, to um, sort of work towards that um, and not necessarily make a dramatic commitment from the beginning, or at least for me, because, because if I am trying to make some sort of dramatic commitment like if I, when I first started writing, if, if I had said, well, I'm going to publish, you know, two articles a, a month that are like really long form, and I'm going to publish a, a newsletter every week. Well, you know, I would probably just to say, ah, no, I don't, I don't want to do that. Or I, I you know, I want to wait till I'm inspired or, or something like that. You'll sort of fool yourself into not doing those kinds of things if, if you aren't careful. But if you experiment with it, then you can kind of get an idea of like, all right, what level of commitment am I comfortable with? And you might want to bump it up so it's a little bit more um, than what you feel like you're most comfortable with. And then you just try to stick with it. Yeah, interesting. And the thing is, um, I just wanted also to to um, uh, to come back to what you said uh, previously. Um, when it comes to um, like you have like different, like, let's say content on the stove, like for, um, to allow you to actually incubate on that. And to be honest, I found myself having a hard time for, let's say, if I'm about to write, let's say, a, a longer article or just working on a video that will take quite some time. Um, I, I just found myself not, not being able to be patient of really like cranking out those, those, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 words. So do you have like any tips for like people like me who are not able just to follow through and, and, and just be patient enough to actually uh, having things uh, like really um, being able to, to incubate on that? Because uh, what I see is that um, as soon as I have an idea, I want just to publish it as, as quickly as possible because I know that I'm going to lose interest in it and like, I will just never publish it. So any thoughts okay. about that? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think I've got something for that. I think that, you know, there's, there's three C's to writing is what I say. So there's like, uh, consistency, um, uh, craft is the, is the last one. I'm trying to remember even what the three C's that I, uh, try to follow are. But anyway, so like one of them is, is consistency. And, and so that's like, I understand that feeling of um, uh, you just wrote something and now you you want to get out in the world. You feel uh, anxious about it. You want to get feedback for from it right away. And you're also worried that if you don't publish it right now, you're never going to get around to publishing it. And so that is 
uh, the consistency. So you just need to focus on one of these things at a, at, at a time. So, and that can be, so, uh, so consistency would, would be one of those things. So is it consistency, courage, and craft? Um, now consistency might just be the writing thing. Like, can you get yourself to consistently write? And so you're just focusing on that. Like, can I write every day for a week? Can I write every day for a month? Something like that. And then you want to get courage. Now that's the courage to publish. That's the courage to actually put your work out there and see if, um, what, what people think about it, what sort of, uh, criticisms do they have or do they love it or, you know, worse yet and more, more common, nobody cares. Uh, so the courage to, to publish, uh, on a regular basis, that's its own thing. Once you've got consistency, then you can work on courage. Now, once you've, you've gotten to where you can consistently, uh, write and publish something every day for a week, every day for a month, every day for a couple of months or something, then you start to worry about say craft. So what people, and that's like being being good like is your writing any good so what people often try to do is they're trying to do all those things at once right so they're trying to be trying to build a writing habit but they're also trying to build a publishing habit and at the same time they're trying to make it good well that's just too much for your brain to handle at one time that's a little bit too much challenge like you've got to just challenge yourself a little bit at a time and work on one of those skills at a time so for some period of time um yeah you might be uh wanting to publish something as soon as you've written it. Uh, and you might feel like, oh, I'm not able to do like the really good long blog post that I want to be doing, the craft, because, well, you need to work on the courage part. Uh, because what is that? If you are writing something and you're sure and you're not quite sure that you're going to be able to return to it, be consistent, and that, and then eventually actually put it out into the world and publish it unless you do it now. Courage, right? Uh, those are skills that you have to work on. And if you want to get to that craft part, you're going to have to get those uh, two first skills worked on as well. And so this is where I find it really helpful to create some kind of habit uh, where it is uh, you're, you're creating, say, for example, blog posts that are a particular length. And for a while, you're just doing 500 word blog posts. And then you actually, I found if you do that over and over again, day after day, you start to become really good at 500 word blog posts. You kind of, you kind of get to where you're like, well, this is the, the structure that feels right for me for a 500 word blog post. And that might be a 250 word blog post or, or a hundred words. And, and you start to develop word economy there. And, and, and so that craft sort of takes care of itself a little bit along the way, but you're not focusing on on that so much, and so if you are in a in a in a situation where you feel like, oh, if I don't publish this now, I'm never going to get around to it. Well, that sounds like you need to work on the consistency. Plus, uh, maybe you have the consistency, or you maybe need to work on the consistency. And then once you have that, then you work on the courage. So thinking about one of these C's at a time: uh, consistency, courage, and craft. Uh, that can help you focus uh, the skills that you're trying to build in a given moment. And would you actually um, do it like how you how you mentioned this in your book, um, mind management, not time management, by actually splitting your week into, um, let's say, um, 
reorganizing your week depending on the actually uh, mind um, energy that you need in order to accomplish this task? Or like, would you separate, let's say, being consistent on something and then having the like, how would you actually approach that practically? I would approach that for longer periods of time. I think getting to the point where you are seeing the energy fluctuations in your week and you're able to say, well, on Mondays, I'm working more on this big project uh, and I'm working on uh, sort of the generate mental state of that project. And then later on in the week, I'm working on administrative stuff like to get to that level. Um, I mean, you might be able to do that in certain parts of your work that you're already really comfortable with, but if you're, you're trying to challenge yourself and you're trying to develop, uh, say a writing habit, I would work on a lot longer periods of time where you're trying to see, well, can I go for a month where I'm writing every day? Can I go for a month where I'm shipping every day? Uh, and, and then you just have to sort of develop that confidence where you can feel like, um, like, oh, I've got this. So, for example, myself, I've got a morning writing habit, and it used to be like I had to face a blank wall, I had to put in earplugs, and I had to speak to absolutely no one until until I was done with that writing. But now I can sort of write, I can write with the door open, when my partner leaves for work, I can say goodbye to her, and I can go back to my writing. I still have the writing habit, but I feel like I've got it. Like, I've got that confidence, I've, I've... carve those neural pathways where I I feel like I can do it. And you just know, uh, you know when you're capable, you learn to know when you're capable of something or you're afraid that you're not going to be able to do it. And when you're afraid you're not going to be able to do it, that's when you need to start taking measures um, to rein yourself in until you can develop whatever that skill is that you're trying to work on. I like that. Like those are pretty simple, simple things, but um only the person who actually puts it into practice are will actually be able to see how like how much of an impact it can actually make to your to your creative output so appreciate that uh, david so david you you have like the book that that i've mentioned at the beginning of the show um of of this episode uh, which is actually a t- a mind management not time management can you tell us a little bit more about that book um and yeah actually just give us a, like give like for me, like it's certainly a book that I'm going to read more than once. Um, right now, I'm at my uh, second read. Um, but can you give us a little bit of um, uh, background about what this book is all about and, yeah, like the big idea behind it? Sure. So time management is a very big part of productivity knowledge or folklore today. It's this idea that it's predicated on this idea that time is this commodity, that, that time is this input. And if you put in time on something, you're going to get an output. You're going to get out something. And it's a useful methodology to a point. It is sort of a basic foundation. It is sort of the 101 of, of being uh, productive. But it's, it's really kind of based on old ways of getting things done. Uh, it really if I were to trace it back to its beginnings, I would say it would be Frederick Taylor standing with a stopwatch in the Bethlehem steel steel yard, measuring uh, the amount of time that it took a worker to say, lift a chunk of iron and to move it and then programming them like a computer and saying, okay, uh, this is where you turn. This should take this long. And this is where you 
grab the the chunk of iron and this is where you put it and and programming it um programming the person basically to say well this is if you do this we're going to get a higher output out of our time and that's been sort of co-opted and and used in knowledge work uh useful to some extent but now it's becoming more and more important uh to be creative and you find that well when it comes to creativity it's not so much like the amount of time that you put into something that makes uh, that 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 makes it valuable. It's really more the the quality of the ideas that you have. I mean, and and there can be these moments where you suddenly have this amazing idea that's ex- incredibly valuable. Uh, and it's it's not because you put in a bunch of time. And then at the at the same time, like a lot of things that you you do aren't these step by step things. Like how long does it take for you to type? 30,000 words. Well, you could type 30,000 words or or basically a novel or a novella. You could type that in a day. Well, can you write a novella in a day? No. I mean, you have to think of the idea. You have to um, come up with the story. And that could take a long time uh, or to take not necessarily a long time sitting and typing, but over a long period of time, uh, that's where that idea comes out. And it's really the value of that story that's going to determine was that a valuable novella or not. Uh, you could you could write one that nobody wants to read. You could write one that uh, everybody wants to read. And so it's really not so much about um, making things isn't really so much about doing the work as much as it is about getting yourself into the right state of mind to do the work. So... Uh, mind management, not time management, examines this question. Well, how, when creativity matters, when ideas are the things that matter, how do you actually get yourself into the right state of mind to have great ideas and to to make them real? I love that. To be honest, like the, the, the whole idea of the book is really something that I was already convinced uh, actually before I bought your book, but your book actually gave gave this actually a, a whole new dimension. So honestly, I will I would um, encourage everyone who's interested and who actually resonated with this idea um, to check out the book. We're going obviously to leave all the links in the description. And David, where can people know more about you and about your work? Well, I have a podcast myself. It's called Love Your Work. That's where I share and workshop a lot of the ideas that are going to be going into uh, you know my next book. Uh, and then I also ha- am very active on Twitter at at Cadavy. So those are two great places to get more of uh, things that I'm working on. Great. So we're going to link that uh, to that in the show notes. Thank you very much, David, for your time, for being here and sharing valuable insights with uh, the audience. And uh, yeah, I hope to see you soon in, uh, in in another episode. Thank you so much, Matt. It's been an honor. All right, so I hope that you've enjoyed this episode with David Cadavy. If you're a content creator like us and you just want to monetize your curiosity, to monetize your work, to actually turn your ideas into an income, then be sure to subscribe to the show because every week I'm going to release a new podcast episode. This may be an interview like with David or an episode where I'm just going to talk myself. And yeah, 
If that's you, don't forget to subscribe. You're going to find the show on all major podcast platforms and also on YouTube. And yeah, this would actually mean a lot. And with that being said, thank you very much for tuning in today. I'm your host, Matt Jarrell, and I see you in the next episode.